Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. And Deuteronomy is the fifth book uh, in, in the Bible, the Old Testament, and it completes uh, what the what is called the Torah or the the book of the law, the first five books uh, of the Bible, which are significant because as we continue to read through Scripture and we get into the major prophets and the minor prophets, you're going to see the prophets are always going to be pointing back to the Torah or the five first five books of the Bible as a path to understand God and to seek God and pursue after God. So this is a this is an important book for us to read as it's as it's wrapping up these first five. Books and these, this uh, Deuteronomy is a, a collection of speeches by Moses as he's encouraging the next generation to pursue after God. He's saying, Don't do what your fathers did that got them trapped in the wilderness where they lost their lives because of disobedience and disbelief. Believe God's word, obey God, and it will go well with you. So Moses is giving a, a, a list of these speeches, and Deuteronomy means the second law in, in Hebrew, or actually it's a Greek word, but translated. It means to, to have a, a two laws, or meaning the second time. So we hear the laws that he's already spoken um, in Leviticus and, and in Numbers. We see him again in Deuteronomy. But we also see a few other things that he's also speaking to the people as well. And right in the first section of it, at the very Moses' first speech is chapters 1 through chapter 12. It's his first speech to the people. Right in the middle of that section, there's a, there's a hinge point, a pivoting point, uh, in chapter 6, in verses 4 and 5, uh, that kind of directs the people. And this, 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 uh, these two verses is known as the Shema. Can you say Shema? Speak in Hebrew already. It's the Shema. It's a pivotal point. And actually the Shema in Judaism is part of their daily prayers. That's how, that's how important this, these two verses are in Judaism. And it also speaks to us. This morning, the Shema. And so I'm going to read to us the Shema. Maybe you've heard it before if you've ever um, been around Jewish people or have ever gone to a synagogue. I don't know if you have or not. Uh, this, is, this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Have you, does that sound familiar? We've talked about this before when Jesus is talking about, when he's asked uh, what is the greatest commandment, and he goes back and quotes this. He says it just a little bit differently. He adds, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. But this is what he's talking about. This is referring to as the greatest commandment. This is what uh, in Jewish law is considered the great commandment. This is what today's message is titled. If you have your Bibles or YouVersion uh, Bible app, you can follow along there. If you click on the YouVersion Bible app, click, click on uh, events and more or more than events, right? That's right. More and then events. You'll have those notes there. And then your heading probably says the great commandment over this chapter. And as we read through this, I want to ask just a couple of questions as we're looking at this text. And the first one is this. My question is, have you ever watched someone do something 
that you've never done before and thought to yourself, that looks easy? Has that ever happened? I remember my first time I saw my brother dunk, I was like, if he can do it, I can do it. Right? You ever seen, you ever seen somebody do something and you're like, I've never done that before in my entire life, but I'm pretty sure if I tried it the first time, I'll be awesome at it. And then you do it, and you fail completely. You fall on your face. Uh, I, I want to show a little of a, a humility here and tell you a story about a time where I uh, fell flat on my face. I, I literally, literally fell flat. And I'll tell you a story. Right? So I was a, a sophomore in college. I was part of the uh, sophomore senate. So I was a part of the, the sophomore leadership of the class for the, for the school senate at Fresno Pacific University. And we, we went up uh, a couple weeks before school started my sophomore year to go up to Sugar Pine Christian Camp. And we're going to have a retreat up there. We're going to encourage. We're going to have fun. We're going to learn. We're going to talk about the plans for the year. And we go up there. And have anybody ever been up there to Sugar Pine, the Christian camp up there? Awesome. Right when you pull in, right, there's a nice little pond, lake area right off to the left, and you get up to the camp, and we got up there, and we all settled in, and it was hot in August, beginning of August, and we thought, let's go down, all of us down to that pond, we're going to swim around, we're going to have fun, we're going to hang out with young college kids, and it's going to be a good time. And there they have this huge rope swing, I don't know if they still have it there or not, and they have a built-in stand there, and you can climb up to the rope swing and, and swing out over the pond. And you're like 20, 25 feet above the water there as you're doing it. People are having fun. I'm watching these guys. And I never grew up doing a whole lot of stuff as a, as a family, as a kid. We worked all the time. And you know, our joy and our fun, my dad said, was if the bees were good, right? Because if, if the bees are healthy, hey, you're having a great time. You know what I mean? Come on, Dave. You know what I'm talking about. And so that, that was our joy. So we didn't do a whole lot of fun on the river, on the lakes. We didn't go out there. You know, we didn't stick to the rivers or the lakes we were used to. Um, little TLC reference. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Um, but we didn't do a whole lot of that stuff. And so, so I saw this rope swing. I'd never been on a rope swing before, sophomore year in college. But I thought, look, these guys are doing it. And they're doing, they're doing back flips. They're doing flying squirrels. They're doing front flips, all this stuff. And I'm like, look, if they can do it, I surely can try. You know? And you know, I, I thought a little stud back then. And uh, I was like, you know, there's people here that I'd like to impress. So I get up there, and I climb up. And I grab the rope. I'm looking down at the people. I, I yell out, what should I do? As if I have a repertoire of anything on a rope swing. All I should have really done is just went out there and let go. That should have been the extent of my experience on the rope swing. But they're like, backflip. I'm like, been done. I'm serious. Been done. In my head, I'm thinking, I'd kill myself, right? Front flip. I'm like, nah. And they're like, flying squirrel. If you guys know what a flying squirrel is, you're supposed to let go of the rope. Grab your ankles, lean down like you're diving in, and you hold your ankles the whole time you go into the water. And I thought, how hard can that be? I can do that. I mean, it's just, I just got to grab my ankles and lean forward, right? And that's, I'm, I'm thinking this is all I need to do. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> There's 100 people around this little pond watching me. I go out, and I don't know when to let go. So as I'm up, I'm thinking, now is the time. But my momentum's already swinging me backwards, but I'm not, I don't understand. And so I let go, and I'm like, okay, in my mind, time to rotate forward. Grab, grab my ankles. I'm leaning back. I start leaning forward, and then I'm thinking, the water's already very close. And just at that point, I approach the water perfectly parallel to the water, 
and slap the water as hard as anybody has ever done a major belly flop from 25 feet in the air. People, I mean, it echoed through the canyons of ochres. People were like, what was that? It was so loud. And I hit the water and it immediately knocked the air out of me. And I'm underwater, so I want to take a breath, but I can't because I'm underwater. And I, so I'm struggling. I think I'm going to drown from trying to do a flying squirrel, trying to impress people. I struggle to the top. I try to breathe. I can't because it's literally my air is knocked out. So I'm like grunting. I swim, finally get over to the, to the side. People see that I'm struggling. They pull me up out of the water. I lay there for a good while. And finally, people ask me, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. I go back to my cabin. And I am literally already yellow. And uh, for the next four hours, I can't feel my chest or stomach, like to the touch. It's completely numb. And the next day, I'm, it's black and blue. And it's horrible. And I thought, that looks so easy. I thought I would be able to do it. And now I'm, it's one of the worst pains of my life that I can remember. And why do I tell you that story? Because I think it's important that as we're reading this scripture and we see what Moses tells the people as the greatest commandment, if you want to, out of all the laws, all the commandments that Moses gives, he says, this is the greatest one. You need to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and might, all of your strength. And we, and we in, at hindsight, looking back and say, why is that hard? Why couldn't they do that? That seems easy enough. Love the, love the Lord, man. And you could have had, because then in chapter 7, he talks about all the blessing that we would receive, right? You guys read that yesterday. All the blessing, all the, he'll cause your enemies to flee from you. you there will be no sick among you. you you're, there will be no one barren among you. You'll have fruit and plentiful. You'll have all these blessings. All you have to do is love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and might. And we think, wow, looks easy. Sounds simple. Sounds like a simple thing for them to do. And yet, as we read the story, and if you know the story of the nation of Israel, you know that they did not do it. You know actually that after that generation passes away and, and Moses dies and then Joshua leads them, after Joshua's death, it tells that the people, people disregarded everything about God and his word and they chased after idols. Moses says, this commandment is such a great commandment. Teach it to your children and your grandchildren and their great-grandchildren that you might prosper in the land, and yet they don't do it. And we wonder, why couldn't they get it done? Why couldn't they do that? Why was it so impossible for them to hear what Moses was saying to them? Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. See, even Moses broke it down for them. If you're looking at the scripture in, in verse 4, that word here in Hebrew, Shema, it means more than just listen. It means to listen and obey. It means listen. There is, the God that we serve, he says, is the only God that matters. He is the only God that you need to ser serve, pursue after, and seek. He says, listen, there is only one God. All the other gods, all things uh, that are around you that will seek to try to pull you away from this one God should not do it if you're awake and you're paying attention. He says, hear, O Israel, our Lord, God, our Lord is one. All other gods, all other things that would try to pull you away from our God are false because our God is one. He's the only one. 
And he tells the people, look, you're going into a land where you'll be tempted to go after other gods of the people that are around you, but don't do that. Listen to my words and obey them. Listen and obey the one true God. He's telling them right off the bat. I'm giving you a warning. And we're thinking, hindsight, look, he even warned them. Why couldn't they do it? Then he says this, love the Lord, your God. Love God. And that word he, in Hebrew, the word love isn't just an emotional response. It isn't about having goosebumps for God. It's, a, it's emotion plus a decision to follow. So really what he's saying is, is obey and be devoted to the one true God. This is what he's telling Obey and be devoted to the one true God. And this is what, if you're taking notes this morning, the first point that I want to highlight for us is this, that obedience and devotion to God is key. This is what Moses is telling the people. If you want to be blessed, if you want to, be, uh, if you want to uh, live in right standing with God, obedience and devotion is key. And in the Shema, Moses was uh, reminding the people that their obedience and devotion to God would not only set them apart from the other nations around them and lead them to good things for their good, but it would cause them to be a light to the nations, revealing the wisdom and the love and the justice of God to them. Moses goes on to tell the people that this command is the most important of all the commands that he's given them. And yet we know that they set these things aside. They revolted against it within the very next generation. And we have to wonder why. Why? Why could they not just do this simple task of loving the Lord with all of their heart, soul, and might? It seems so simple. It seems like such a simple command. Why couldn't they do it? Why couldn't they remain faithful to the God who set them free? The one who, who delivered them from slavery, who fed them in the wilderness, who provided for them. But Moses even says, your shoes never wore out, your clothes never wore out. In the wilderness, God sustained you. Why couldn't they stay faithful? Why couldn't they tell their children? This is why. Point number two is because our effort isn't enough. Just trying harder to be faithful, trying harder to be good, trying harder uh, to, to, to be perfect is never enough. I like to share stories about Corbin because he cracks me up, my, my son. And just the other day, he did something very random, but I told him, don't do that again. He starts crying. He's very sensitive. He starts crying. He says, I'll never be perfect. <laughs> I think sometimes he says these things because he knows I talk about him in the message. So he's trying to give me some, give me some stuff to talk about. But he yells out, I'll never be perfect. I said, you're not supposed to be perfect. There was only one who was perfect. His name is Jesus. So, so look to him. Because you won't be perfect, son. I said, this is for me. Daddy's not perfect. Mommy's not perfect. But I never will be. I said, that's right. You never will be. But Jesus is always. So we trust him. We turn to him. The, po the point is, our effort isn't enough. And, and the, the question is, why? Why is our effort never enough? Because it appears that Moses from the command of God is telling the people of God, just do this and it will go well with you. But we understand that their effort will never cause them to succeed. And to answer that question of why, it would be that we have to go back 
and look at the other laws and other commands that Moses gave the people and understand what their intention and their purpose was. See, we talked about a couple weeks ago about the sacrificial system, right? That the, 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 the blood of animals that were spilled to cover the sin of the people so that God said, so that I can dwell with you, so that your sin would not re re repulse me and push me away because I want to be with you. So here's an opportunity. You'll have to sacrifice morning and evening and sins that you commit and sins that you didn't know you committed. You have to do these sacrifices so that I could be with you. And that system which allowed the presence of God to dwell with the people did not address the real issue of sin that the people were facing. It only covered the issue. It served to cover their sin so that they wouldn't fall under God's judgment, but it didn't remove the cause of that sin. They understood, and what it, what it did was it highlighted the punishment of sin, of their sin. That it didn't fall on them, but it fell on the animals that were being sacrificed, but it didn't address the cause of their sin, which was in their hearts. Nor did it cause a change of their hearts. The sacrificial system never was going to address the sin that was in their hearts. It only showed them the consequence of their sin, which was death. It highlighted the great divide between God's holiness and their sinfulness. How they fall short of God's righteousness. and That's why they daily had to perform sacrifices. See, the, the sacrificial system, like we spoke about last week, was always pointing ahead to Jesus. The Son of God who would step in our place, take our sin upon himself, not simply cover us from judgment, but to transform our hearts and change us from the inside out. Jesus came to address the heart issue and the core of our sinfulness. That's why when Jesus spoke about moral law, we talked about that several weeks ago, he raised the standards and made it about issues of the heart, not just outward expressions or actions. So now when we read this command from Moses telling the people, look, here's the greatest commandment. Do this one most. Do this one first. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might. We can understand. Maybe it gives us a little bit of insight into what's going on, we can begin to understand why they couldn't do it because their hearts hadn't been transformed. They were doing outward expressions and tradition to try to teach them something that they would always fall short of the glory of God. That their hearts needed to be transformed from the inside out, that they weren't going to be able to do it with sheer willpower or even fear of consequences. But God knew that it wasn't going to work for them. God knew that they weren't going to fulfill it. Moses knew it because at, right before he dies, he said, you're going to revolt against God. You're going to rebel, and he's going to carry you away. You're going to be taken captive. Moses, as a prophet, was speaking to them because he knew that they were going to revolt. So the question is then, if Moses knew it and God for sure knew it, why did he give them this command that he knew they couldn't live up to? And I believe it's for the same reason he gave them the sacrificial system, to point ahead to the one who could fulfill this command. To point ahead to the one who could bring change that we needed in our hearts. This command, I believe, was always pointing to Jesus. Point number three this morning, if you're taking notes, is Jesus did what we could not. Jesus did what we could not. Jesus would be the one who fully loved God, the Father, with all of his heart all of his soul, all of his might, even unto death. He listened and obeyed the Father in the Shema. Listen, hear, O Israel, our Lord. God, our Lord is one. 
Jesus listened and obeyed the Father. He said, actually, I do what only the Father tells me to do. He was listening to God. He was so devoted to the Father and his, and his devotion and his obedience to him did what the entire nation of Israel could not do. See, in the Shema, Moses was reminding the people that their obedience and devotion to God would not only set them apart from the other nations around them and lead them into good things for their good, but it would cause them to be a light to the other nations, revealing the wisdom, love, and justice of God to all the nations. And Jesus fulfilled the Shema. Jesus fulfilled this commandment. In fact, he fulfilled all the commandments and all the laws, but this one you need to hear that Jesus did as well. Because there are moments in our lives where we think, man, all I have to do is love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my might. And yet we get places in our lives where we don't do that. And in fact, we fail at it. And then all of a sudden we look at ourselves, we're like, I never be good. I can never follow. And we start saying things like my son said to me, I'll never be perfect. And it's an obvious statement, but it's a statement of condemnation to ourselves. I can't really love God. Who am I kidding? I'm just faking it. I'm struggling in secret. People don't even know about it. I'm pretending. I'm, I'm trying to move through the motions, and I'm struggling the whole way. And yet we think this command is something that we're supposed to do apart from Jesus. When it was never a command that we should ever try to do or attempt apart from Christ. Because Christ is the one who fulfilled it perfectly. Jesus fulfilled the Shema. It's his obedience, his devotion that set the people apart, those who are followers of him, that would lead us into good things for our good, and that it wouldn't be a part of our willpower or our effort, but his effort that he did on the cross for us. He would cause us to be light to the nations. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 5. It says, you will be the light of the world. Not because you're good enough, not because you're, you're, you're ultra special or something, but because Jesus lives in you, is why you carry the light of the world. Jesus is the one who stood apart and called his followers to be a part of him, and in him we fulfill the great commandment. He allows us, he causes us to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might, but not in our effort, but through his, because he's the true light. He was revealing in himself, the wisdom, love, and justice of God to all nations. See, what Moses said, this commandment will cause the other nations to see the goodness of God in your midst and the wisdom and love and justice of God, that it will draw them to you. But the nation failed. But where the nation failed, Jesus succeeded. So that as the nations look to him, they'll be drawn to his love and his wisdom and his goodness and his justice. And not only him, but as he lives in us and through us, then our lives being connected to Christ, abiding in Christ, causes us to draw people to Christ because his goodness and his love and his justice is in us. So we spoke last week. Our call, our call is not to try to be better or to try harder. Because that's a deadly cycle if you ever found yourself in it. A cycle of, I got to be better. I got to do better. And you might do it for two weeks or three weeks or even a month, but eventually you're going to run out of energy, run out of love. You're going to fail in some way, and then you get into the self-loathing cycle. 
and, and, and this self-defeating cycle. And then all of a sudden you say, well, I got to just try harder. I got to grit my teeth. I got to make it happen. And all the while we're forgetting that Jesus is the one who did it. So our call is not to try harder. Our call is to abide in him. Abiding in him, right? In John chapter 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The branches receive the nourishment and everything they need from the vine. Our call is to stay plugged into him, to stay connected. We find our life in him and we find our support in him. If you've been, uh, if you've been around vineyards at all, I know they're pulling them all out right now because almond prices are so much better. But they're pulling them out right now, but I know that there are some that are still addressing them. And if you ever go out there and look, you'll notice that there are trellises there that support the branches. And the branches are, right now, they're doing it. They're tying them together to grow uniform along, along the trellis. And I looked at that and I thought, isn't that a picture, an illustration of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Because that trellis that they're on is in the shape of a cross. And the cross is what supports the branches to grow healthy and bear fruit. And if we can think about what Jesus did for us on the cross, it is our support system to remind us. It's not about us or our effort. It's about him and his effort. What he did on the cross supports our ability to bear fruit as we abide in him. And we're connected together, which reminds me of the support we need for one another. You're not called to do it alone. You're not called to to try to... To change, try to change the world alone. And in fact, you're not called to, to, to be a, a follower of Jesus alone. We need each other. We grow together as we bear fruit and we abide in the vine. Jesus calls us to abide in him. It's his actions on the cross that made it possible for us to stand firm. And he binds us together in love and support for one another. So that as we abide in him, point four, in him... I can do all things. It's in Christ I can do all things. Abiding in him allows us to take part in what he did. So it isn't our effort for perfection that makes us uh, right with God or causes us to, to obey the greatest commandment. It was his perfection that made it possible for us to be pleasing to God. So we don't have to try to be perfect for God. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and hold on to him. This is what I said last week, and I think it still is true for us today. That as whatever we behold or whatever we hold on to, we become. So as long as we continue to behold Jesus, we'll become like him. How do we behold him? We behold him in worship as we lift our hearts to praise to him. We behold him in prayer as we honor him with our time and we bring everything to him. And we honor him in his word as we hold it as the authority of our lives as it dictates to us and describes to us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We abide in him. See, the truth is, our love always runs out. It will always run out. Our love for our spouses and for people, right, will, will wear thin eventually. Even our love for God will wear out if it's all in our effort and it's all about our ability to stay faithful. If it's about what you think you have to do, Apart from Christ, you're never going to follow Jesus the way he's called you to follow him. We have to stay in him to stay faithful to him. Because his love for us will never run out. 
and his love through us for God and for people will never run out. It'll always be flowing to us, always be moving in us. And in moments we ever get to a place where we feel that we've accomplished it or we've, got, we've reached where we want to be in God and we think I can unplug from the source and I can go around and do what I want to do and, and I'll be all right, is the moment where we begin to run down and, and wear thin. It's like an old iPhone after you update it because they want you to buy a new one. You unplug it and you're like, I got a full charge. You're, you're gone for two hours, you look, you got 20%. You think, I thought this would last me all day. Sometimes as Christians, we fail to stay connected and abiding in Christ. We love him, but eventually, if we're not staying plugged into the source, we begin to run low in his love and his joy and his peace. He's there with us. He hasn't left us, but we're running low because we've forgotten to abide in him, plug into him. See, his love will never wear out, never run out, never wear thin. So we have to remain in him. And it's through him that we can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the moment we look at that command and think, that looks easy. Love God? I've been doing this for years. It's easy. I don't need to, I don't need to fellowship with other believers. I don't need to make church a priority. I don't need to pick up my Bible and read it every day. I don't need to seek him in prayer. This is easy. I've done this. Is the moment that like I looked at the rope swing and said, I can do that, is the moment we fall flat on our face. Because we have to abide in him. There has to be a, a relationship with Jesus. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, all things are possible. Amen? As the worship team comes forward, I want to close our time out this morning. With this call, as we look at the Shema, loving the Lord with all of our heart, all of our might, all of our soul, that call is not to try to be a better person or try to be a better Christian. Because we get in this cycle of trying and trying and trying. It's a call to trust Jesus. The Shema is a call to trust Jesus. To listen to obey, and to be devoted to him. Even in our hard times, even in our dry moments, stay connected to him and how he's, he's called us to him. Through his word, through prayer, through fellowship, through worship, abide in Jesus. Because you cannot, you cannot Love God the way that you're called to love him apart from Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.